a quote that I heard recently is that, you know, the gospel of, of Jesus is definitely opposed to earning your salvation, but it's not opposed to effort. You know, and it's and this is really important for us. As we talk today, I'm doing part two of being a disciple. This thing, you know, as I said before in worship, our salvation is a free gift. It, it literally it says that so that no one can boast, saying, "Listen, I earned this from God." You know, our salvation is a free gift given to us by Jesus. He did what no one could do. He was the perfect sacrifice for sin. And by his death and resurrection, he made the way for us to take that free gift and be reunited with God. You know, his death and resurrection, he said, it's by faith that we receive this. By our trust that what Jesus did was enough that we receive our salvation. That means that we are reunited with God. We are set in, in right place and right relationship with God because of what Jesus did for us. You know, that is the amazing thing that we can go, hey, God absolutely loves us on our best day and our worst day, that we don't earn our, God's love, we don't earn our salvation, our, we are secure. You know, it talks about in scripture that says nothing can take you, and you know, nothing can remove you from the love of God once you've accepted and received that, Right? That's, that's a beautiful thing for each and every one of us. But the gospel of grace isn't opposed to effort. You know, when we look at, I think of Ephesians, where it talks about that God gave apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers to the church. And why did he do that? To prepare us for the good works that God prepared for advance for us to do. This free gift that we have been given you know, by Jesus is, you know, we've been given this. And then what God says is, hey, go and make disciples of all nations. Take the gift of your salvation and go and make disciples of all nations with it. Jesus sent his disciples out, said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. He said, love your God with all your heart, mind, and spirit and love your neighbor with yourself. It talks about the good works that we've been prepared in advance to do. So this, this gift that we have been given, you know, as being disciples of Jesus, it, it involves us putting in those good works and the effort to be transformed into the image of Jesus and to do the works that we have been given to do. Amen? Amen. This is so important for us. Because if we just take that gift, if we, you know, I call it the spoiled child syndrome, where it's like, oh yes, I have the grace of God, he's saved me, he loves me, but there's no change in our lives. You know, that we take that as, oh, that's amazing, this is about my blessing, but it's not about my sacrifice. It's not about my, me being a living sacrifice to God. And, and that's not what discipleship is. That's not what being a disciple of Jesus is. Like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and if you weren't here, it was on October 9th, the Thanksgiving weekend when I started this. If you didn't hear the first one, go back and listen to the first one. It's on YouTube, it's on our podcast, all those things. And when we were there, we were talking about the fact that as a disciple, we are a student. And we are a student of a master. 
Not as a master-slave relationship, but we're going, hey, as a disciple of Jesus, I see that Jesus' way of life, Jesus' version of reality, Jesus' way of looking at the world, Jesus is the truth. And I need to learn how to become like Jesus. So I become a student of Jesus to learn to live in this world. If I'm going to live the way that God intended me to live, I look to Jesus for that example of how I am to live. And so with that, you know, Dietrich, one of the quotes I gave was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who said, Christianity without being a disciple is Christianity without Christ. If we are not actively looking to have our worldview changed, our way of life changed by Jesus, as we, as we read scripture, as we commune with him, then we aren't actually living as disciples of Jesus. The idea that you can be a Christian in name without your nature being changed is not in the Bible. A, a young adult pastor out in California, Chris Cruz, Uh, I love a quote he said. He said, becoming a disciple of Jesus means embracing an entirely new way of life. Your life becomes organized in such a way that God's kingdom becomes both the guiding and unifying principle of your life. You become like Jesus and capable of doing the things Jesus did. You know, when we were, uh, I was away last week in Ottawa, we were part of a Kingdom Advance conference there, and then we were, Lee and I were both speaking in different churches on Sunday up in Ottawa, and we were given a prophetic word for the church. I don't have all of it here to share with us today. Uh, I just didn't get a chance to transcribe it. But one of those things was that, you know, this was going to be the, 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 the person that was speaking, who's got a very much a prophetic gift, just spoke over the church that, look, this, it's going to be vast. The, the work that is going to come out of Lifehouse is going to be bigger than what we can imagine. And that one of the things, this will be a community of healing. That's a word we've been given since the first Sunday. That thing about being a community of healing, both of physical healing, spiritual healing, and healing of mental illness and things along those lines. We've been given that word since we started for the first time in Dolphin School back in 2009. And we've seen measures of that come about, but not the fullness of that come about yet. But I believe we're stepping into a season when we will. You know, when it's going to be normal that people are coming and are encountering all of you, you know, in the world, here in church, and, and they're just, they're going to so be encountered by the love of God, and that we will be so walking in relationship with Jesus that they're going to be impacted and healed because we're confident in who Jesus is and who he is working through us. Today, we're confident that Jesus is working in, in Heather's life, that the word of knowledge that was given to, to Colin will come about in her life because Jesus is true. You know? And what Jesus says, he's going to bring about. The path to, of spiritual growth And the riches of Christ is not a passive one. As I said before, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Effort is action. Earning is attitude. That's so important, right? When I started ministry, I was very much had an earning attitude. I'd grown up 
in, in, in different, you know, grew up in churches where that was really what was presented, is that we earned our favor with God. You know, some people will describe that as a works gospel. You know, and the idea, the idea that God's going to be angry or disappointed in me if I, you know, if I, if I really want to be loved by God, then it's my effort that's going to earn that love. You know, and that's very different because it creates insecurity. If I'm having a bad day, then that means God's disappointed and angry with me. If I'm, if I'm not you know, living to the potential that I think I should be living to, then my dad in heaven must be really upset with me. And I don't know if you can identify with that. Maybe, maybe you can. It's a mindset. It's an easy mindset for us to fall into. An attitude that somehow we have to earn something from God. You know? And, and that's not true. That's not true. We don't earn. You know, it's not our love from God is not something we earn by our efforts. So if we are not doing well, God is not looking down on us going, I am so disappointed in you. You know, you are a waste of the gift that I gave you. you know? The picture of the prodigal son has to be one that we always keep before us. That our father, just like the prodigal son, gives us the free will to have a good day and a bad day. And is still there loving and caring for us, even if we decide to take the gift and neglect it and go waste it, you know, by unrighteous living in the world. But at the moment we will turn ourselves back to God, he is right there going, my son, my daughter, I love you. I love you. Now, now come back into in my way and let's do this the right way. So you know, that can happen in a bad moment. It can happen in a bad day. It can happen over a span of bad years. Right? But our Father in heaven is not going, well, because you did X, Y, Z, now you've got to re-earn my love. You know? But there are maybe effort we need to put in to undo certain things that we have done. You know, that may be a real thing, you know? but we do that from a place of security and love. You know, living, living in our lives as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus... It means we live opposed in a different way than if, if right now only 3% of the population of Canada is Christian, then we live differently than 97% of the world. It means our life choices end up being very different. That takes effort. It takes intentionality. It takes conviction. You know, there is, it's a thing that's going, because I am loved by my father, because he is there for me, because he is with me, this is possible. You know, this thing is possible because the God that created the universe has my back. He is my father and he loves me. And, you know, I can represent him well in the world as his disciple because I have his backing. Because I have his backing. And I always have his backing. When I was in one of the churches in Ottawa last, last week, I gave this example that God, God gave to me. When you leave the, the, the church today and you go out to the parking lot, if you drove here, then if you go out to your car, how, you know, do you expect it to start? Right? You, when you go out to your car, if you either stick in the key or push the button, whichever way that it goes, your expectation is when you go out to the parking lot today, when you push that button, that car is going to start. Correct? Right? If you came by public transit or Uber or something like that, you expect that when you put in, call the Uber, or when you stand at the bus stop, the bus will arrive or the Uber car will get there, and when you get in, it will go. Correct? Ah, okay. 
But the interesting thing for us, and it's, it, it, I, I, how many of us expected when we prayed for Heather today that she would be automatically healed? And I'm not asking you to raise your hands. It's just a thing, but it's a mindset. Sorry, you know, it's a mindset thing of thinking. Do you expect God to move? Like, you know, is it, is it weird for you if he doesn't? And that's, we have this thing, we, you know, our car, we expect it to start. If it doesn't start, we go, there's something wrong with the car. There's something wrong here. I better call a mechanic. I know I better figure out why, because when I push that button, it better start. If, if we're not seeing the fruits of the, spirits in our li- of the Spirit in our lives and the gifts of the Spirit in our lives, we have to ask, oh, What's, what's broken? And, and it's not Jesus that's broken. So it's something in us. And I say it, you know, when I pray for someone, it's not, well, there's something in them and that's why they're not getting healed. It's like, okay, where's, where's my faith at? And we see Jesus with his disciples constantly when they're like, well, why isn't something working? Like, why isn't this person getting healed? Why didn't that happen? Why didn't that happen? He's like, well, because you don't actually have faith. You, you don't actually have faith for it to happen. You don't believe it will. Faith is not a guess. When we read about faith in the Bible, it's not like, it's not a, it's not a vain hope the way we would describe it in the world. Like, you know, this is a mystery that might happen, might not, or I'd really like it to happen. Wouldn't it be really cool if that happened? Jesus says, hey, look, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, so the truth is that I'm confronted with the truth that actually I realize my faith is pretty small at times. There's certain things that I've had faith for and certain things I don't, but I watch and see where God's like, I really need you to grow in faith. I really need you to grow and truly believe that I am who I say I am so that I can work through you into this world. Because if you don't actually believe that I have power and authority, then you're never going to operate in that power and authority. You know, you're going to live by the world's standards wondering why these things don't come about. And, and God is calling us to so much more. He's calling us as a community, as his church, and we're one of many communities, many churches that he's calling to and saying, hey, this is not a season of retreat. This is a season of advancing. And it's this, this country needs you. It needs, this world needs us. This region needs us to, to be everything he's called us to be and truly be his disciples in this world. When I was talking to some of the youth that I work with, one of them made the comment to me about something and, and won't get into the context. He's like, he's like, oh, you live outside the matrix. And if you've seen the, if you've seen the movie, The Matrix, right? There's these, you know, the context of it, the, old, the original movie is these people don't realize that they're actually in, in basically a sleep world living in a pod and just going through life. And it's only when they get liberated from that pod that they see the world for where it really is. And, and the truth is, is that this world lives in an illusion, especially the first world, right? We, we don't understand spiritual reality. We just go through life. We do what we're told. We, you know, if I look at most of the people I talk to in the world that don't know God, their life is about making money. Their life, their life is like, well, I've got to get a good job. I've got to make money. I've got to provide for my family. You know, I've got to do these different things. And, and, and the, their entire life, that is what it's about. For us as disciples of Jesus, you know, it, it's not that we don't need money. It's not that we don't need, you know, career or things along those lines. But that's not what we live for. 
It's not why we're alive. It's not the purpose of this world. It's not the thing. It's we get outside of that mindset, see the kingdom of God for what it truly is, see this pearl of great price, the kingdom of God, and go, that is why I'm here on the earth. That is why I'm here. I am here that God would be glorified through my life. I am here so that people would come to know Jesus through me. I'm here so that I can live life and life abundant. You know, abundant life. We are not to be mastered by money, but poverty is not the goal either. You know, we are, money is secondary. The glory of God in our life is primary. Us following Jesus and living for who he is, is the reason we are here on this earth. It's why we're here. We've been given authority here. From the time of Adam and Eve, we were given authority. We were given authority to rule and reign on this earth. We're to steward it well. Should we care about the environment? Not in the way that the world cares about the environment, but absolutely. Right? It's not a worldly pursuit. It's, not a, it's a thing of, hey, we're here to steward this planet. We're here to steward this planet. Not only are we here to see people come to know Jesus, but how we steward our lives matters. How we do it matters. Will that take effort? Absolutely. To see, to see this world go from a place, or see the GTA go from a place where 3% of the people are Christians, to that, that being ever-increasing, we are coming up against, we have to bring light into the darkness. That darkness is not as powerful as it would want us to believe it is, but if we don't, if we're not willing to be filled with the light and bring the light into those situations, then that darkness prevails. Because because the light through us is absent. And that takes effort. That takes intentionality. That takes us saying, I am going to live for God. I am going to allow the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, manifest through my life. And if they're not manifesting, I need to look and go, what's wrong? in how I'm walking with God. Because God hasn't abandoned any one of us. I'm going to look at some scripture here. Jesus the gate, Matthew 7, verses 9 to 14. This is the Sermon on the Mount. It's near the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And just to give this a bit of context, I'm just starting at verse 9. And Jesus says to his, uh, the people he's speaking with there, his disciples and, and those that are there to hear, he says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Verse 12, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Then Jesus says in verse 13, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, 
and only a few find it. He then goes on to talk about false prophets in Matthew 7 to 15 to 20. For the sake of time, I'm just going to read one part of it, verse 17, where he's talking about, he's saying, look, well, I'll actually read all of it. Watch out for false prophets, he then says. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, thus by your fruit. You will recognize them. So he's talking about false prophets there, but it's a real thing. Hey, by our fruit. Again, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. By the fruit of the Spirit, people will recognize that there's something different in our lives. The same why by the fruit of a false prophet will recognize it, recognize them. And then he goes on and says why, about wise and foolish builders. And he says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. The rain comes and the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it's had its foundation on the rock. But anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. A couple things I want to highlight here before I move on. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the road that leads to life. Jesus says he's the gate. Or he, he, he says, enter, asks us to enter through the narrow gate here. I'll read where he says he's the gate in a moment. Being a disciple of Jesus takes us off a wide road and puts us on an incredibly narrow path. It's a narrow road. It means your choices are limited. Your, the things you can do are limited. They are not. You do not have the freedom to live as the world does. Doing so is going, I'm going to try to bring, to, to talk about the light while living in darkness. Now, there's a reality of a disciple of Jesus. This effort part of it is, I have to make different choices than the world. This may be acceptable for 97% of the population, but it's not acceptable for me. Again, this is, my Father in heaven loves me. And, you know, if I've made some bad choices, then, you know, he loves me and says, come back to the narrow road. The prodigal son had to come back to the father's house. The father wasn't running around behind the prodigal son while they were doing, he was unrighteously living, blessing all of that. It wasn't, you know, he, the, the son took his inheritance, squandered it. The father wasn't there backfilling the inheritance so that he could keep living that unrighteous life. Many of the reasons that we do not see you know, and the things of God coming in our lives is because we choose an unrighteous path and wonder why God is not blessing it. We choose to live like the world and expect God just to get behind us and go, yeah, that's amazing. 
And there's way too many teachers out there that are preaching a false gospel that says that's okay. And there's way too much compromise. You know, and there's and it can't you can't live in an unloving way and it produce love. It's impossible. You know, it's impossible. Now, I want to again. What it is, is God, it's the wrong way of thinking is my father in heaven is mad at me and he's punishing me because I'm living an unrighteous life. No, your father in heaven loves you enough and has given you free will that you get to experience the consequences of unrighteous living and he doesn't rescue you from that. Right? That's the reality. I'm saying you, I'm speaking in general. I'm not talking to any person here. You know, and that, I, I found that in my own life, right? There's times where I am not living the way that God would want to be. And guess what? The fruit of that is what it is. You know, God's not punishing me. He's simply allowing me to see the reality of the fruit of that. That if I live that way, then guess what? It's going to produce some pretty nasty fruit. It's not going to produce the, the fruit of the spirit in my life. It's going to produce something else. And so if we're going to live As disciples of Jesus, you will be the most frustrated disciple of Jesus if you try to live one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. You'll eventually just be that, you know, as scripture says, you'll be lukewarm and you'll be spit out. Because it doesn't work. You're trying to live in two kingdoms. And all it's going to do is pull you apart. And I'm saying you, and listen, please, I'm, I'm giving us this teaching. I'm speaking to myself here. I'm speaking to all of us. I'm speaking to the people who are going to watch us on the video today and years from now. And to give us a guide work and a framework so as we are walking with people, the first thing we can do is teach them about the love of God and then help them to understand going, hey, if the fruit of your life is not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, then there's something probably wrong in how you're walking this out with God. You know, and if you're not seeing the power of God in your life, then there's probably something wrong in how you view God. You know, there's, there's, and we, we need to call those for what they are. And I know in our world that doesn't believe in absolute truth, things like that is offensive. Me saying there's a single truth in Jesus, and that because there's a single truth in Jesus, that if we're not seeing the reality of that in our life, it means we lack faith. That sounds really offensive, maybe, to people. But truth is truth. And if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, then we've got to walk that road. We've got to walk that road. Otherwise, we're just going to go through the motions and get to the end of our life going, what was that all about? What was that all about? And we will, you know, because God loves us, we'll be the people that it says that escape, you know, through the fire, everything we've done burned up behind us. Man, I don't want to build that way. I, I, I hope that you, I know for me, that we want our life here have impact. You know, we want to build with the, the precious stones. We want to see that what we do lasts. You know, lasts. The things that last aren't going to be systems and structures. It's going to be God's impact in people. You know, it's that imagine that after our life, after our life here, that, you know, we can look back and go, wow, Christianity grew in the GTA from 3% to 20% or 50% or more. When I say to us that, hey, if we will all make a decision to disciple one person a year and teach them to do the same, a million people will come to know Jesus. 
Do you believe that? Do you take it seriously? Are you looking for people? You know? Is, that, is there effort involved in that? 100%. Do we trust in God to be the one that brings people to us? Yes, but when he brings people to us, guess what? It's going to impede on your time. It's going to take away some of your free time. It's going to change choices you make because now you need to invest in this person's life. You know? And if we're not willing to do that, then are we really willing to be a disciple of Jesus? Just to wrap up this, this is going to end up being a part three. But I want to make a point about this gate. Because Jesus told us to enter through the narrow gate. And then in John 10, Jesus says, I am the gate. I am the gate. That narrow gate is me. The only way to enter into this life, eternal life, and this life of discipleship is me. So let's read John 10, verse 1 to 18. The context of this, Jesus has just healed a blind man. And that blind man has been pulled before the Pharisees and Sadducees that have questioned him. And it's like, well, who is this person that healed you? And, and because he's like, yeah, it was Jesus that healed me. The Pharisees have thrown him out. And then Jesus comes up to this blind man and knowing he's been thrown out. And, and it's like, who do you believe I am? And the blind man says, you are the son of man. You're the Messiah. You know, and the Pharisees, there's Pharisees standing there and they freak out. You know, who does Jesus think he is? You know, he's saying this, he's blasphemous. And so Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he is brought out, when he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used his figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for those sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may find life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall, they shall, there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father.
Jesus asks his disciples to pick up their cross daily and follow him. What sheep has God asked you to lay his life down for? Because the Christian church isn't about, you know, you being an audience for me. Lifehouse doesn't exist so you can come and listen to me speak. I hope I inspire you. I, I teach you so that I, you know, my estimate is we'll need to plant 5,000 churches in the next 10 years. It means all of you prob- might, might be involved in that. Not that planting a church is, and leading a church is the pinnacle of Christianity. It's certainly not. The careers you're called to, the things you're called to do. But when I say involved in that, there are people God has for you to lead. There are people out there right now that God has for you to reach. There's people there that God's saying, will you lay your life down for them? Will you lay down your life so that they can know me? It means making different decisions and choices. You've heard me talk a lot about the young guys that I love working with. You know, for, for during the pandemic, they were all out behind our building. And I kept going, God, send somebody. I need to find someone I can hire to engage with them. I need to find somebody to, you know, I'm too busy. I need to find someone that can, that can connect with them. And, and no door would open. And finally, God's like, will you just do it? Will you, do you, will you open your eyes and see and do something? And I did. And that involved laying down a portion of my life to do that. You know, giving up of my time, my energy, my resources. God brought them to me. It took me like a year and a half to open up my eyes. You know, you know but God brought them to me. But there was nothing could happen until I made a decision and a choice. There's people God have brought around you or is bringing around you. If you'll say, God, I'll lay my life down for them. There's people there that he wants you to disciple. He wants you to engage with. He wants you to love. But it does require us laying down our lives for those sheep. I didn't give up my, you know, working with those kids is nowhere in my job description. I still have my job to do, and then I work with those kids. You have your job to do. I still have my family to take care of, you know, and my family, Joel sitting right here, has become amazing at working with some of the, some of the younger ones. And, and it's something to a degree we're doing as a family. Your family can engage with people. Your family can disciple other people. It's not one at the expense of another. But it's understanding your life is one. Like Picking up our cross daily is our laying our lives down for others so that they will know Jesus. And they also can have that free gift that's been given to us. That is discipleship. That is following Jesus in every single way. We'll go on to part three in a couple weeks' time. Uh, Lord, I just pray a blessing over everyone here. Lord, any words that are not of you, may they fall to the ground, but may the words that are of you penetrate the heart. May we all pick up our cross daily and follow you. May we be willing to see and say yes to the people you're sending into our lives. May we make any adjustments you ask us to make so that we can love others. 
that we can demonstrate the gospel to them so that they would also become children of you and be able to receive the same free gift you've given us. May the impact we're meant to have in this world come through us. You know, not by, not by our earning, but by our willingness to put the effort in to partner with you so that you can bring about what you want to bring about. Amen. Amen.